0: Well, it ended up being one of my uh, most favorite Christmas memories, a memory I still cherish to this day. I remember waking up and walking out to the living room with my older brother and my older sister and being a little surprised because as we looked at the tree, there were very few presents underneath the tree, which wasn't normal for us. My parents always did a, a really good job of making sure that we had plenty of presents to open, but I was trying to cut them some slack all of eight years old, and I just thought, ah, Dad must have had a rough year this year, and wasn't able to buy as much as normal, and so we take our seats in the, in the living room, and we wipe the sleep from our eyes, and then we, we go about opening our stockings, and my sister had way more presents than my brother and I, so she took the bulk of the time opening her presents, and we opened the few that we had, and then when it was all done, and we had opened up our presents, my mom says, well, hang on, hang on I, I forgot a couple. And she goes over to the Christmas tree, and she reaches up near the top, and she reaches back behind the branches, and she pulls out two boxes about this big, one for me and one for my brother who's eight years older than me. And we open those up, and there's a key sitting inside each of our boxes. It looks like a lawnmower key. And we thought, oh, heck, Dad bought us push mowers or lawnmowers so we can help him mow the lawn next season. What kind of a Christmas is this? Mom and Dad look at us, and they, they say, well, if, if you want to know what those keys go to, you need to go outside. So we walk through the house, we walk out the garage, and sitting there in the driveway were brand new four-wheelers waiting for my brother and I. And in case you're wondering, I am not the one with Goldilocks hair. (laughs) I am the little guy with the awesome flame helmet sitting right there in the middle. And we couldn't wait to hop on those four-wheelers and go tromping around our eight acres of land out in Indiana. And those four-wheelers became an integral part of my childhood, some of my fondest memories are spent on those four-wheelers. In fact, one time, my dad and I, we were out riding, just he and I. We took a little break out in the woods. We had built a little uh, a shelter, a little lean-to, and he and I were sitting under the lean-to, just talking. I'm still seven, eight years old. And I look at him, and I say, Dad, can I ask you something? He says, Yes, son. And I said, I've always wanted a treehouse. Do you think you and I could build a treehouse together? And he says, Oh, of course, son. I would, I would love that. And then I did the manipulation tactic that every child in here needs to learn at some point in their life. I looked at my dad and I said, do you promise? (laughs) Because, you know, if a father makes a promise, it's written in stone, it's binding, it's contractional. And if he says, I promise, then it is a done deal. I am going to get a treehouse. And he looked me square in the face and he says, yes, son. I promise we'll build a tree house. We'll go riding around in the next couple days or weeks, and we'll find the perfect place to build a tree house. Now, I'm not one to forget a promise, so I held him to it, and I started begging him like, Dad, when are we going to go ride and look for a spot to build a tree house? And, and so we, we would go, and we would look, and we, we never found anything. and Did that a couple days, and then the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, and the months turned into years. I'm 29 years old, and I still don't have a tree house. (laughs) My dad wasn't able to keep his promise. And I'm not going to hold it against him. He probably just didn't know how to build it and made a promise he wasn't ever able to keep. Uh, But as good as my dad was and as good as my dad is, is if you know me, you know that he and I are like this. We are great friends. I I don't hold that against him. I also don't let him forget it because I don't forget a promise either. In his humanity, he wasn't able to keep his promise. And friends, as we gather together today to celebrate the birth of Jesus into the world, I need us to understand, and we need to cement one truth with two parts into our mind. We need to take this home. We need to understand that God, our Heavenly Father, always remembers His promises, and He never forgets His people. As we look at the manger, as we look at the baby Jesus, that's what we are reminded of and that's what we are assured that God always remembers his promises and he never forgets his people. And I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, Trey, didn't they teach you anything in college or high school? Don't you know you're not supposed to use language like always and never? Like you don't use words like always and never because it could end up creating something that you don't mean to create. For example, couples in the room, when you find yourself in a counseling situation, couples counseling, men, it's never a good idea to say, you always eat the cookies before I ever get a chance. Or you never listen to me. Or you always leave the seat up. Actually, women, you can probably say that because that one's probably true, right? For you Star Wars fans in the room, you know that it's only a Sith that deals in absolutes. That's right. Or the old contradictory phrase, always and never statements are always false and never true, right? You do not use language like always and never. It's dangerous territory, But I'm feeling risky today and so I'm going to reject conventional wisdom and I'm going to stand by my statement that I believe scripture teaches us that God always keeps his promises and he never forgets his people. If you're just joining us this morning, we've been in a series called Magnify. We've been going through a song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings upon finding out that she was pregnant with the Savior of the world. She's talking to her cousin Elizabeth, who is also miraculously pregnant, and they're sharing their pregnancy stories, and they're blessing each other. And as they're talking, Mary kind of breaks out in this song. It's a song that we call the Magnificat. It's been known and and sung all around the world throughout the ages. It's a very popular song sung by Mary upon finding out that she was pregnant with the Savior of the world. And just like we've done every week so far, let's read her song in its entirety, and then we'll focus in on the last two closing verses of her song. Here it is, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, here it is, in remembrance of his mercy. Just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, as Mary seeks to magnify God, we see that her confidence comes because as she recognizes what is happening in her womb, and as she recognizing, recognizes what God is doing in the world, she roots herself, not in things that are happening now, but she roots herself in promises that were made thousands of years before. And she can sing with confidence because I think Mary knew that no matter what's going on in life. God always keeps his promises and he never forgets his people. God always remembers his promises. And I know that there are many of us who might hold promises in tension. We might say, yeah, Trey, you're talking about promises. I want you to know that just brings up a little bit of skepticism in my life. Because there were people that I trust, people that I gave my life to, and they promised, and and they used that promise to manipulate me, and and, and they made that promise, and it was totally empty. They never meant to do anything with that promise, and so we hear something like, God always keeps his promises, and we're kind of like, ooh, is that true? Can we trust that? Because we've heard all the promises before, right? We know there's empty promises. I promise to pay you back. I promise I won't forget. I promise I won't tell anybody. I promise I'll be there. I promise to get it done. I promise to honor and cherish and love till death do us part. I promise to pray. I promise to never do that again. I promise to get back to you. I promise to make it up to you. I promise next time we'll be different. I promise never to drink again. I promise to never bring it up again. I promise to stop seeing her. I promise to have it ready. I promise to tell the truth. We've heard it all before. And so often those promises are empty and so then we hear that God always keeps and remembers his promises and we're skeptical and wondering if that is true. But that doesn't negate the fact that at their core, promises are a very good thing. Especially when the one making the promise is good. Author Lewis Smead wrote years ago, he says, Somewhere people still make and still keep their promises. They choose not to quit when the going gets rough because they promised once to see it through and they will. They stick to lost causes. They hold on to a love grown cold. They stay with people who have become pains in the neck. They still dare to make promises and care enough to keep the promises they make. He says, I want to say to you that if you have a ship, you will not desert. If you have people, you will not forsake. And if you have causes, you will not abandon. Then you are more like God than you might think. He continues, what a marvelous thing a promise is. When a person makes a promise, she reaches out into an unpredictable future and makes one thing predictable. She will be there. She will be there even when being there costs her more than she wants to pay. When a person makes a promise, he stretches out into circumstances that no one can control and controls at least one thing. He will be there. No matter what the circumstances turn out to be, with one simple word of promise. A person creates an island of certainty in a sea of uncertainty. And as we look at the fact that God always remembers his promises, we need to uh, let that be a, a, a wave of certainty in our life as we exist in a sea of uncertainty and questions. God always remembers his promises. And you can see this all through the scripture narrative that God has preserved for us. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time at the creation story. After the fall of man, God issues a a death sentence essentially for evil. And he says, I want you to know a son is going to come from the woman. And that son is going to crush the head of the enemy. That's a promise. And then he goes to God's chosen man, Abraham. And he says to Abraham, if you follow me and if you make me your God, I promise you that all of the nations, all of the people on earth from now and to eternity will be blessed through your line. And then King David comes along, a man after God's own heart. And God makes another promise to David. He says to David, he goes, you and your family will sit on the throne for all of eternity. And then we come to today celebrating the birth of Jesus. And we see that every single one of those promises was fulfilled by King Jesus coming into the world. The one we celebrate today. You know, I could ask many of you, why do you believe in God? And I would probably get varying answers. Some might say, well, I've read the scriptures and I believe they're inspired and so I'm going to follow them. Some might say, well, I've done the the historical research and I believe that Jesus existed and walked on this earth and and he makes the most sense. Others of you might say, well, I've just seen too many crazy things in my life to believe that there is not an all-powerful being controlling and and watching out for us. Others of you may have just been dragged here by a friend or a family member and you're thinking, I don't believe in God and there's nothing out there. Can I tell you, as your preacher, one of the main reasons that I believe in God, I've I've looked at the history and I've seen things in my life, but one of the main reasons that I believe in God is because of all the promises that I see fulfilled in this book. As I read it and research it and study it more, I always see God's promises come to pass. And you can't tell me that some 40 uh, different authors were able to write over a period of time, were able to write with such coherence and precision and accuracy. I believe in God and I trust Jesus because I see this work and this word that he has preserved for us. And I think that couldn't be made by human hands. In fact, I came across this image some time back. It illustrates and shows us just how many promises and connections there are in the Bible and how everything is fulfilled and that God always remembers his promises. I've been told there's some 7,000 promises that God makes in Scripture. That's why I believe, because I see something like that and say, Oh, no, 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 that doesn't happen by accident. And so I know and I believe in my heart of hearts that God always remembers his promises. And that's why Mary magnifies God. That's why her soul rejoices in God, her Savior, because as the baby Jesus is in her womb, she realizes that God is remembering his mercy. What does she say in verse 54? He has helped his servant, his people, in remembrance of his mercy. God made a promise, and Mary believes that that promise is being fulfilled through the baby in her womb. So I want you to hear this today. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen or where you've been, no matter where you currently stand with Jesus right now, I want you to know and believe and be assured of the fact that there are promises for you if you will believe and trust him as your Lord and Savior. The promises of Scripture declare and scream to us that you can be forgiven. You are welcome in God's family. He will not leave you or forsake you. You can ask, and it will be done in his name. You can be saved. He will give you rest. You can find purpose. He will give you peace. There is hope for your life. Things can turn around. There is deliverance from sin. He is preparing a place for you. You will never thirst again. Life can get better. Joy is possible. You do belong here. He is what your heart has been searching for. God does love you and you are not too far gone those are the promises that God remembers and gives to each of us God always remembers his promises and he never forgets his people you know we started this whole thing with me talking about a time my dad wasn't able to fulfill his promise to me and I don't want to make this morning all about me but if I could 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 I ask you if we could continue my therapy session for just a moment because not only has a promise not been kept to me but i've also been forgotten i grew up at a large church in indiana where my dad was the preacher and i learned very early on in life that it was better for me to just go into the church gymnasium and shoot hoops while they were talking to people out in the lobby and eventually when it was time to go one of them would come get me and then we'd go home so one sunday morning they're doing their thing i go into the gymnasium and i start shooting hoops and I'm shooting hoops for what seems like a really, really, really long time. And I look around. There's no other kids in the gym at this point. And so I walk out into the lobby. There's maybe five or six people in the lobby, and I I don't see my parents anywhere. So I walk down to the Sunday school class where my mom was teaching earlier. She's gone. Lights are turned off. I go to my dad's office. He's gone. Lights are turned off. And so I walk back to the lobby, and I find an adult that I knew. I said, hey, could you call my parents, one of my parents, and figure out where they're at in the building? I can't seem to find them, and I think it's about time for me to go home. Well, they called, and I found them at home, (laughs) making lunch without me. I was the youngest kid. My brother and sister, they had already graduated. I was the only one they had to remember, but I was forgotten at the church. My mom thought I was with my dad. My dad thought I was with my mom, and I was there all alone. Now you understand why... I am the way I am. Are there any kids in the room? Yeah? Make some noise if you're a kid in here. There we go. I wonder, um, I can't remember who this is. I came across this picture. Can any of the kids help me out? Who, what's her name? Dory. Dory. And what is Dory's problem? She can't find her parents. She can't remember anything. She can't remember her name. She can't remember her friend's name. She can't remember where she's going. So what does she do? She just keeps swimming, just keeps swimming, just keeps swimming. Friends, as we look at Jesus lying in the manger, the birth of the Savior, I want you to believe and know that God doesn't suffer from Dory syndrome. God never forgets. God never forgets his He made a promise and he saw that promise through and Jesus born into the manger is evidence. That's why Mary says in Luke chapter 1 verse 55, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He's talking about his people, the people that he has not forgotten, the people that he has remembered. And he says, this promise that I remember, it is for Abraham, it's for his descendants and his descendants forever. He's not just talking about thousands of years ago. Mary is talking about you and me today, descendants forever. Yep, question back there. See that hand in the back? Great question. How in the world am I a descendant of Abraham? I'm not a Jewish person. How does this apply to me? Fantastic question. Glad you asked. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see, this comes back to you. Through Jesus, God made a way for all people to be his people. And when the New Testament writers were inspired to write the New Testament, they saw the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as something that pulls all people into God's people if they will believe and trust him as king. And I want you to know, as you read the scriptures, just a little tip for you this morning. As you read the scriptures, whenever you see the phrase, God remembers you need to be ready for something incredible to happen. You remember the story of Noah? Noah on the ark and all the, all the waters come. If you read that story, uh, there's all kinds of corruption and violence taking place. And, and then you have the flood. Right in the middle of that story, the scriptures say, and God remembered Noah. God said, I'm not going to let this corruption and violence uh, wreak havoc in my people's lives anymore. So I'm going to destroy the earth with water. But then he remembers Noah. And then Noah is saved and spared on the ark. And he becomes the genesis for what? New creation. You fast forward a few chapters later, there's two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, they are filled with violence and corruption. There is some crazy stuff going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says that is so evil, that is so unjust, I'm going to destroy the city with fire. But Abraham, God's chosen man, Abraham had family living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the scriptures, it says that God remembered abraham's family they escape. the fire comes down and then abraham's family becomes what the genesis for new creation how about one more one we're probably familiar with the israelites the people of god they find themselves living in egypt under the control and oppression of the egyptians and pharaoh and they've been there for hundreds of years they've been oppressed and they've been beaten and they've been mismanaged and and not treated well and god says i'm Tired of seeing the oppression and the violence that is happening to my people. And it says right there in Exodus chapter uh, 2 verse 24 that God remembered his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I.e. God remembered his promise to his people. And rather than floodwaters or fire, this time God uses plagues and he sends the plagues and he preserves the people of Israel who become a genesis of new creation. When you read scripture, we see all of this violence and all of this corruption and all of this oppression that mounts and God gets angry at it and he's grieved in his spirit at it and then he remembers and that remembrance becomes the tipping point from death to new life. Mary says he has remembered his mercy and he has not forgotten his people. As we look at the baby Jesus lying in the manger, we realize this is the tipping point where things go from death into new life. When God remembers his people, new life is coming. That's why Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, that's the beauty of Christmas. And that is exactly where Mary takes us as she seeks to magnify God and rejoice in God, her Savior. She says, I want us to remember and realize that God remembers his promises and he never forgets his people. And she reminds us because of this baby in my womb that new life is right around the corner. And that's what the birth of Jesus is all about, signaling to us that we can be forgiven and that new life is possible all because of a baby that was born to save. In 1988, there was a young girl named Anissa Isla, and she was uh, diagnosed with leukemia, and the doctors wanted her to go through chemotherapy and radiation, and then she needed to undergo a bone marrow transplant. The only problem was they couldn't find a... uh, a match to donate uh, bone marrow to her. Her her parents both were unable, even her brother wasn't able, and no other donor was available. And so in a cry for desperate help, the parents, 40 years old, decided that they would try to conceive another child in hopes that that child would be a match to save Anissa. And they gave birth to Marissa Isla, and wouldn't you know it, she was a perfect match. And at 14 months old, She was able to be a donor to her older sister and give the bone marrow uh, to her sister, and they both live, and they live happy uh, lives, healthy lives today. Anissa Isla would have never survived if it weren't for her sister uh, Marissa, who was born to save. Friends, you and I, we would never survive if it wasn't for Jesus, who was born to save for us, Who is the signal and the sign and the purpose reminding us that God remembers his people. You are not forgotten. And he wants to bring you new life. That's why Jesus was born. Friends, today could be the day you step into that life. Today could be the day you decide that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I can't think of a better day to be reborn than on the day that Jesus himself, that we celebrate Jesus being born. And I want you to know that there are promises connected to that decision. If you decide that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and if you are baptized into him, there are scriptures, or there are promises connected to those scriptures that we read about. On the first day of Pentecost, after Jesus had been killed and after he had resurrected from the grave, the apostle Peter is preaching a sermon and he's letting the people know, you killed the man, you killed Jesus, he's dead because of you. And they are convicted and they are cut to the heart and they want to repent and give their lives to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. And they say to Peter, because of this, what do we got to do to be saved? How do we get this new life? Here was Peter's response, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And what's the promise? For the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you everything that happens when you decide to trust Jesus. I can't tell you everything that happens in the water at baptism. But I do know that the gift of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit is tied to it right there. And it is a promise that when you place your hope and your trust in King Jesus, you will be forgiven of everything. I don't know anybody who doesn't want that. And you will also be given God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of the Almighty God of the universe will come live inside your bones and inside your flesh. Friends, that sounds like new life to me. And so if you want a new life, and if your way isn't working, if you're tired of trying everything else and coming up empty, I want you to know that as we celebrate the birth of Jesus into the world, the promise has been issued. The promise has given. The question is, do you believe it, and will you accept it, and will you believe and be assured that God always remembers his promises, and he never forgets his people? If you need to make that decision today, I would love to talk to you after the service or during the next song that we sing. Friends, I, I hope this Christmas is special and meaningful for you in a way that it never has been before. I hope that your soul can magnify God and, and that your spirit can rejoice in God, your Savior, the way that Mary's does. And I hope you remember that you are not forgotten. Merry Christmas, y'all. Let me pray for you. Oh, God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, the one who came into the world, was born to save so that we might live. Father, we remember that, and as we remember that, we see that baby Jesus lying in the manger, the baby in the womb of Mary, and we say, you remember us. Your promises never fail. Your words never fail. Your word is true. Your word is good. And we can trust it. Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God that we can trust. Thank you for always remembering your promises. And thank you so much for never forgetting your people. That is the hope and the truth that we celebrate this Christmas year. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.